I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair question. It's a fair question. It's a fair question. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair question. It's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair question. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair quest, quest, quest. Hello, and welcome to Vic Cohen's It's a Fair Question. You are listening to us live from downtown Los Angeles. This is Skid Row Studios. And the reason I call the show It's a Fair Question is because on this show, I might ask our guest anything. Anything is up for grabs. Everything's a fair question. Nothing is off limits. That's right. It's a very magic moment because we have a guest who has a very familiar face. You've seen him on television. You've seen him in films. In fact, there is no way that you have not seen this man. It'd be impossible. You'd have to live like in a mountain somewhere for the last 30 to 40 years. 30 years. He's been doing this at least 30. It'd be funny, I think, if I just kept talking about you. That, that was the whole show. That's and it. And they're like, we're out of time. We're done. Thank yeah, you, everybody. Exactly. He's a comedic actor and uh, with a real incredible background in improv, Olympi- uh, improv Olympics. Well, improv that too. Olympics. Yeah, I'm an Olympian improv That's right. Guy. He, and, uh, but actually he's- I have he, a gold medal do you? improv. Well, we'll talk about that because I understand there was a problem with that improv Olympic name, mm. which we'll get into in a little bit. Yes. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Vic. Thanks for yes. having me. And uh, Mark this is Beltzman. Great. Yeah, Beltzman. Beltzman. Is be that like a boy? E L T Z M A N. And be careful because if you ask a fair question, you might get a fair answer. <laughs> well, you, you might. You're right. Well, that's that is always a risk, and that's funny. But I'm, yeah. I'm willing to take that gamble. Careful what you ask for. Well, I I know I've got some things in my head. That yeah. I've been wanting to ask you That's a long a time. Weird head, man. Well, I'm gonna tell you something. There's I, some weird shit going on in that head. I've got a lot, a lot going on in this head. I, I bet. I do for you. Okay. Yeah. Now, first of all, it's amazing, on me. Speaking of heads, it's amazing you've maintained your hair. Wow. You There's really a have, place to start. Well, I'm looking at it, and you hey, know what? Fuck you. Really? Yeah. No, is that a, is that a sore spot? No, not at all. I would think it's probably what helps you get work. Um, that receding hairline, I'm, the stuff on the top, a little bit on the sometimes top. Sometimes I feel like my facial hair works more than I do, but I don't have any right now. I just shaved. Uh, I had a beard for a few weeks. Well, to describe, I'm going to describe Mark to you right now. Okay. Um, if you're not looking at him at the moment, just as I am. go on IMDb. <laughs> well, I'm looking at him at the moment because this is in the moment. IMDb. Oh, okay. We could be looking at pictures from third, ten years ago. I want to hear years. this description. He has uh, salt and pepper uh, hair, uh, kind of. We w- some would call it balding. I, uh, you would have to call it balding. I, I would think. Everyone I would. would. Say, yeah, <laughs> probably. Yeah, and he's got some hair sprouting on the top. Um, and and what's interesting is also the sides are are fairly long. I've noticed. And do you? That's well, all I got left, man. Come on. Well, look at me. I crop my hair. Do you do it like yeah. that? Because it makes you more the everyday man when you're going out for roles. No, I, I don't. I don't even think about uh, my hair in terms of acting. I, you know, the uh, the hairstylist does that. I I just show up and audition. I don't, I don't think about. I think your skill as an actor gets you work and your 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 sense of humor as a comedian gets you work, not whether you look right for the part. Some actors, I guess, go after the look. I, I just am who I am. Well, what about if I were to say to you, Mark Beltzman, you just happen to have a great look, you don't have to think about that. Well, this is a great day for that, you know, because the, the Supreme Court has just... Uh, you feel I'm flirting with you? Law, <laughs> and uh, this is why Vic asked me on the show tonight. Because I have a secret crush. He can announce that we're actually going to get married in 25 right. days. We've been lovers. Just don't tell my wife. Who's listening. Yeah, who is Who I just who spoke listening. with. Yeah. He's devastated. Well, well, I don't think she's devastated. She may be excited. Maybe. 
It's going to be a whole new thing for you two. Yeah. So congratulations to all the gays. Yes. And to anyone who's thought about being gay. And, well, and now you can... any minute. Yeah. It is or a, all the gay people who said they, they would get married, but they couldn't, and now they have to, and their relationships are going to end because they won't get married. That's true. I don't... I think... I wish that heterosexual marriage were outlawed. It would make my life so much easier. All right. Well, let's get back to me. So I'm a I'm a handsome guy. <laughs> yes. I'm balding. And you're wearing and you're wearing glasses to compliment the the the. Uh, yes, I've pepper. gotten a lot of compliments on my glasses. So and I'm giving you one right everything. now. Right. Yes. Thanks. And now, Mark has uh, you have a fascinating uh, history. You know, I'm going to go through your film credits and TV credits, not for you, but for you listening, because when I said earlier that you know Mark Beltzman. You're going to say, after I go through this list, Vic never lies. I do know Mark Beltzman, The Wedding Singer, Billy Madison, Home Alone, Mo Money, Speed 2, Employee of the Month, Home Alone. Those are just some of his film credits. Yeah, Home Alone twice. Twice. You were within the original, the first? No, no, no. He just said Home Alone twice. I was only oh, in the first one. Okay. <laughs> right, okay. Got it. TV, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Seinfeld, According to Jim, Roseanne, House. Cold Case, The Young and the Restless. That that really fascinating. Oh, and most importantly, um, your biggest credit, which I don't understand why you've left it out, would be USA Network's The Big Date. The Big Date, which is where Vic and I met, actually. That is correct. And that was like probably- Which was supposed to be called The Meat Market, but they wouldn't let him call that. Well, and Mark, you played, for those who missed that uh, historic television show, Yeah, Mark played the Zonk. And it was a dating show. I was the zonk. That's right. So Mark was the guy who came out from the door who you didn't want to end up with. Okay. Right? That was the zonk. Well, yeah, the deal was that they could choose to have another date with the man or the woman that they had went out with. And if they didn't want to go out with them again, they would pick somebody behind the door. And usually uh, there was a real man or woman behind the door, depending on the opposite sex, or me dressed up as a man or a woman. I so, just remember you um, as a woman. I don't know why. Well, uh, that's obvious after the way you described <laughs> me a few minutes ago. So now, the th one of the th you know, there's so much to talk to you about. Honestly, like one of the things well, we got an hour. Go ahead. I learned. Well, here's something I learned from you. Okay. I learned something from you. Wow. I remember you were the zonk, and you were dressed in this dress, and the scene was pretty much over. You'd come out, and you, as you were walking off, you know, and the camera was still on you. You scratched your rear end. Like you were moving your dress or something, and mm -hmm. like you had an itch. I thought that was a brilliant choice, and I really remember that forever. I know it sounds crazy, maybe. All right. Well, you remember my fingers and my ass. That's. But it was a choice. Getting us back to you hitting <laughs> on me, I guess. No, no. But you, it, it it was a thought, like comedic. It was a comedic choice. Yeah. That I just thought was really brilliant because the scene was pretty much over, <laughs> and you were walking away. Well, yeah. Well, I'm just having fun. I don't. That's all I do. I have fun on camera, off camera. Doesn't matter. Life is a good time. I'm very fortunate, so uh, I, I enjoy everything I do. Well, how did how did you end up on the Wedding Singer and doing the the um, Adam Sandler films? Well, I auditioned for Billy Madison, and uh, I, I I won the role. Uh, and then uh, Adam Sandler had promised me a part in. Happy Gilmore, and that got written out, so he sort of made up for it by giving me a part in The Wedding Singer, and that was uh, the last time we ever worked together, I think. <laughs> I, I don't know uh, if uh, there was any reason for that, but he's a great guy, and 
a great time, and I have a lot of respect for him and everything he does. He's he's one of those guys in Hollywood. I mean, people he can people can laugh at him and scoff him at him all they want, but he really. Uh, you know, works with all of his friends and takes care of a lot of people. And most of the guys he works with who produce his movies and write his movies, like Tim Hurley and uh, Alan Covert and uh, Jack Caraputo, he went to NYU with those guys. So he's known those guys for a long time. And you look at Grown Ups, which is just an excuse to get together with your friends and make a home movie that happens to be a, you know, $100 million film. And. Mm-hmm. He's laughing all the way to the bank. So it's 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 just a great environment to be around because he's a really great guy and he has a lot of fun and, and it shows on camera and off. Well, you didn't go to NYU. And how no, did you become I, one I of his friends? I auditioned for Billy Madison so at what, Universal Pictures. How does it how does that happen where uh, you have Adam Sandler promising you a role in another film? You got that tight with him? Uh, yeah. We, well, we spent months together doing Billy Madison. There was, you know, we were th- three months together in... Uh, the first director got fired eight days into the shoot, oh. uh, and then uh, then we had to sit around for a week and wait for another director to come. And that's Universal. fun. Yeah, yeah, paid. Yeah, sit yeah, around yeah, doing yeah, nothing. No, yeah, yeah, we got paid the whole time, and it, it was just it was a really fun experience. And uh, and I think actually I play the part of Jack, which is sort of uh, an homage to Jack Caraputo, who was one of his friends. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Alan Covert, who is uh, another one of those guys in, in Sandler's uh, entourage, for lack of a better word, was supposed to play the role that I did. But Sandler didn't quite have enough power at that point to, to get all of his friends in. And, of course, now he does. And so Universal, I think, kind of said, you know, the audition people and I, I won that role through an audition and, and, and I got the part. And so now if I'm Mark Beltzman and I have Adam Sandler, you can be, you can I don't be think Beltzman. it's possible, but if I were yeah. for just a moment All right. and I had Adam Sandler promising me a role, yeah, I would be calling Adam Sandler or emailing him or contacting him since then to say, you know, what's going on? Do you do that? Do you stay in touch? And also oh, like, yeah, I've done ask for a role. Times. Yeah, sure. I've, I've been in touch. I've seen him around. You know, I run into him at a basketball game or something here or there. And uh, he takes care of a lot of people. And I've tried to get through. Uh, and, you know, when I have an audition near his office, I'll go in and see if he's around. But he's always busy and he's always doing shit. And I kind of lost contact with him. I don't have any personal contact information for him. And he has so many layers and waves of people to get through to contact him that I've left messages and sent stuff to his office, but it, it never really gets Mark, a I will promise you that anytime you try and get a hold of me, I will call you well, within thanks. 24 hours. Well, hopefully I'll, the, never happen. the check for this interview will clear and then we can work together some <laughs> the more. Check. You got your bottled water and your Diet Coke. I got Coke. paid one <laughs> and your bottle of water and a Diet Coke. <laughs> and your $6 parking. Come on. Well, that's true. Right next to the building. Yes. You my car is safe. So- what about Curb Your Enthusiasm? Were you, were you friends with Larry David? Did this come through just an audition as well? No, I was friends with Jeff Garland, and Jeff Garland's wife was casting the show, but I auditioned for that show as well, and uh, uh, I think I've earned just about everything that I've done, and, and I, I, I auditioned for that show, and uh, I got the part. Um, and uh, and Larry was was a great guy to work with, and uh, he, he thought I was really funny, and we had a really good time shooting that scene. Um, actually the, the funniest part about shooting Curb Your Enthusiasm was it was actually all done in real time. So they, they took, they had a call time at the, at LAX and I went to the airport 
And um, they go, okay, let's get ready to shoot the scene. And we started shooting the scene, which was a great scene. And, and, and the funniest part got cut out. If you haven't seen the pilot episode of Curb, I was a co-worker of Larry's. And, uh, of course, it's all improvised. And, and my father-in-law died, and he didn't come to the funeral or didn't send anything. And we have this argument about that uh, in the airport. And then I was just like, fuck you, Larry. And he's screaming at me, fuck you. And we're screaming at each other in the airport. And that part all got cut out because we were standing in front of American Airlines and they said, uh, if he uses that, they'll sue him. So they had to cut that part. But after a few takes, they go, okay, come on, Larry, we got to get on the plane. And they literally were getting on the plane to go to New York to shoot the next scene of that pilot episode, which took place in New York. And so we only had about maybe oh, 20 minutes to shoot the scene. And they go, okay, come on, we got to go. That's really and, a great they, story. They were, That's crazy. It was all like in real time, but it was really fun to do. It was yeah. improvised, so it was great. And Jeff Garland's been a friend for years. And From Chicago? Um, yeah. Second, second city, city. improv Olympic? Yep, second city. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I saw the clip with you and Curb. I believe it's part of your reel. Yep. If you were to go to YouTube and you look up Mark, M-A-R-K, Beltzman, B-E-L-T-Z-M-A-N, you can access tons of video uh, from Mark. Yeah, a million things will come up. A lot of stuff. And there's also an acting reel, which we all have, actors mm-hmm. have, because it's just, you know, it's a highlight of what we've done. Some casting it's a business directors. card. Yeah, and you've got tons of stuff on there. And mm-hmm. was that the entire scene from the from the show that you no, have on your was, reel? it was edited down for okay. somewhat, because my, re- my whole reel is only like three minutes and right. 14 seconds it's or something. something like you that. keep it short, because... After about fifteen seconds, they nobody looks at it anymore, anyways. But and what um, about what about Seinfeld? Uh, how did that come about? about? You were on Seinfeld. I auditioned. So. Yeah, no, all this stuff I I earned. Um, uh, Seinfeld, the casting people. It was um, um, Lieberman McKenzie and uh, Mark Lieberman was a great guy. He was casting director. I think he's like head of NBC or something now. I don't know. But uh, they, they real Seinfeld. Folks really wanted me on that show, and they they brought me back maybe five or six times for different roles until they found something that was right. And so they they really wanted to be on the show, and they they kept bringing back until they found that role. And then and then I got cast as that in that part, which was actually called uh, in the script. It was just called Fat Guy. Nice. And uh, I said <laughs> I said I was having a talk with Jerry Seinfeld on the set, and I'm like, can't can't you call it something else? Like, does it have to be Fat Guy? And he goes, Well, what do you want it to be? And I go, How about Bob? And he goes, all right. And that's to the day, to this day, the credit says Bob, played by Mark Beltzman. Short bald guy. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. You didn't want that. You no, know, no. to change it. So you're I was Bob. like, come on, do we have to go with the fat guy thing? It's like, uh, what do you want it to be, Bob? All well, right. you were um, heavier back then. Yeah, I was a lot. Like significantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a lot fatter back then. So, and uh, that's why probably they went with that. But obviously, you know, Bob sounds a lot more Civilized, dignified. I think. Yes, is the absolutely. Word. Now you said something that really piqued my interest. You said Seinfeld. The Seinfeld people really liked me. Mm-hmm. So um, when you say that, how do they learn to like you? Because you keep coming in for auditions, and they discover you through the audition process, or because this is Mark, who we know from Improv Olympic, Second City, and these films. Well, the, I, it's the casting people bring you in, and then and then the producers and the and the writers, you know, get to see you. Usually, they used to call it a producer session. Now, the business has changed so much. Uh, but it used to be casting directors really like you, and, and they would they would use you a lot. 
so that bring was, you in for stuff. And, you know, you were sort of on the, the top of their call list for certain stuff. You, you were, your name would come to mind, and they would bring you in for a lot of things. And, and uh, it, I don't know, it seems so, has, the business has changed so much with the Internet and, and YouTube and reality television. And, and now with the contracts, uh, uh, you know, sagging after merging, it's, it's, it's just gotten more and more difficult to even make a living doing this stuff because they just they pay you less and less money and and the producers get to keep more and more of the money and, and it's just it's it's changed a it lot. is fast so you got to create your own work which is what i do I, I create everything i do and you know i teach a lot of uh improv which i'd, I'd like to talk about in a minute and you do these other you know short films and and get work where as catch can and i play the tuba and i, I create my own show with tuba and i do a lot of improv and and uh, you create your own work, and then and then the other stuff just kind of happens. You know, the film and the television is great, and I and I love doing it more than anything. But um, it's few and far between. So, well, you, with ahead. your class, you mm -hmm. have um, you do this improv acting workshop. How often do you do them? I know you just started this week. Yeah, well, um, I've been teaching all over the world. Actually, I, I just uh, I was doing this musical with George Went called uh, Reanimator, the musical, which was. Uh, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft story in 1922, and they turned it into a horror movie in 1985, and it won the Critics uh, Pick Award for the Cannes Film Festival in 1985. And Stuart Gordon, who was the uh, director and co-writer of the movie, directed and co-wrote this musical, and uh, I was doing it in L.A. for about two and a half years, and then we went to the New York Music Festival last year in July, and then we the whole cast flew from New York to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in Scotland, and we did 25 shows in 28 days in, in Scotland, which wow. was so exciting and so much fun. And then my wife, uh, Beverly Lubin, uh, met me over in Scotland after the show. Uh, we traveled around Scotland for a month and went to Amsterdam, and then I taught acting in, uh, in London and all over England for five months. And then uh, came back to the United States through New York and taught there for a couple months. And I'm sure I've people been teaching. But the really? classes here are on Tuesdays at Oh My Ribs. Uh, you just go to www.omyribs.com for more information. And uh, uh, I'll be starting uh, some drop-in classes and some specialty workshops and some eight-week series of workshops. So whatever you're interested in, we pretty much got covered. And uh, check it out, you know, if you're interested in improv acting. Um, it's now, really a lot of fun. A lot of people don't, you know, we've been talking about your credits mm -hmm. and that's always impressive, but the credits are really the result of the work. Yes. And the work for you started very young. I remember uh, reading your first commercial. You were a teenager with the tuba. There's no mm. tuba. There'd be no commercial. There'd be no acting career. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sort of starts on just being a class clown, I think. But yeah, I, I, uh, play tuba. I still play tuba. I have a 101-year-old tuba, and I have my own show called Tubazar, which will be at uh, Fanatic Salon, which is at 3815 Sawtell Boulevard on Saturday, July 27th. And I invite other artists to come play their music. They just have to write me a tuba part. And I get the most amazing people to come play. Uh, Fred Kaz, who was a piano player at Second City for years from 1963 to 1990 he he wow. comes and plays harry dean stanton came to the last one and played harmonica i'm trying to get him again emo phillips has come and played and what does emo play he plays the clarinet i did not know that yeah and uh cynthia carl and uh my friend gordon bash and uh alex burke and Mella lee and magnolia memoir have they have a band and they come and play and so uh yeah that's uh 
I still play the tuba, but get back to the story. Well, hold is, on one uh, sec. Before okay. we, I want to just, for for you guys who might want to see him, mm-hmm. Mark with this tuba. Again, it's called Tuba Czar, C-Z-A-R. You can find it online. Fanatic Salon is on the west side of L.A. Yeah. It's a great small venue. Now, when you do that show, do you guys get all serious, or is it playful fun no, and, and other big no. laughs? It's like doing a you know, show in your grandma's basement. It's very interactive with the audience. Okay, maybe there's some laughs. It's just me. Yeah, it's, it's a musical you. comedy review is what I like to okay, call it. Okay, good. I like hearing the word comedy because I saw yeah. when Woody Allen came in town a few years ago mm-hmm. at UCLA at Royce yeah. Hall. Right. You know, he, he, the, he, didn't, he made one little joke about, I mean, it was nothing, and I it's like, come on, yeah. it's Woody Allen. Do something. Give yeah. us a little something. Well, Steve Martin's the same yeah. way. He's really serious I mean, about come playing on. banjo. And, but no, this is all really casual, and uh, it's it's interactive with the audience, and they can talk. And uh, I just sit and introduce people and tell them uh, how I how we know each other and what we're going to play, and then we play, and then we kind of just bullshit for a while and play more music, and, it, and it's really just a lot of fun. Well, the emo even did a little bit of stand-up in between some of the songs and stuff oh, like that. That sounds great. Yeah. Uh, I'll definitely have to check that out. I did see the reanimator uh, that you did with George. Reanimator the musical. Reanimator the musical. Yeah, and, we're uh, hoping uh, that they're raising the money uh, to take it to New York very soon. Uh, I'm looking forward to doing it again. I hope it happens. Uh, yeah, it was soon. it's it was really fun. And if any of you have a chance to check it out, when it's, it's really back. crazy. Yeah, it's wild play. It's like. Uh, they, they, we've been written up in, in reviews as kind of being like the new Rocky Horror, and I don't know about that, but it's really a lot of fun. It's a zombie musical. The music's written by Mark Nutter, who's a genius. And uh, the first four rows are the splash zone, and every time somebody dies, we spray the audience with blood. And yeah, the, it gets really the crazy. The fans do get crazy. And there's a lot of, well, there's so many levels of fans. There's H.P. Lovecraft fans, and there's um, reanimator the movie fans. There's Stuart Gordon who directed it. Fans. There's George Went fans. So people line up for hours before the show starts to make sure they get in the front row, all dressed in white, so they can get sprayed with blood. And it's really kind of crazy. Now, someone takes your class, and what mm-hmm. they're getting is someone you who trained at Second City. Now, you first, I believe, did. Imp- was it Improv Olympic, I.O., you did first, yeah, and then um, you it took you to Second City? I was in Baron's Barracudas, which was the very first group at I.O., so I was one of the founding members of I.O., and then... Uh, in Chicago. In Chicago. And then a bunch of us together, um, Joel Murray, Dave Pasquese, Chris Barnes, J.J. Uh, Jones, and myself all got hired out of Baron's Barracudas to be a touring company at Second City. Wow, that's great. And uh, then I spent two and a half years touring around a second city, and then I was in three resident companies, Second City Northwest and Second City ETC, and then the main stage at Second City in Chicago. What was Northwest? It was one on uh, Second City had opened up a place in the suburbs in Sterling Meadows, which is oh. just outside of of Chicago, and uh, it was just another uh, Second City theater that they... Uh, open and since closed, and uh, it was it was a great opportunity to just be up on stage, and you get to write and perform your own material when you're in a resident company at Second City, and 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 it was a great experience. Now, I have an experience with Second City. I um, at one point took uh, a couple classes, and I had a teacher, and that you probably know, mm-hmm. and I have to say, I know you because you're a teacher. Um, when a young person is just starting, like I was, I was very sensitive. Most artists are. Well, you're still sensitive. I really am, actually. How can you tell? <laughs> I know you. Yeah, I get very sensitive. I'm a sense. I know. It's just part of me. Mm-hmm. So, um, I know you knew me that well. 
well, <laughs> well enough to know that. And so um, this guy, you know, in, in improv, you make choices mm-hmm. when you're on stage. Not that I'm telling you this, you know this, but for those listening, you all listen. I'm willing to learn. Okay. So um, it, obviously it's a class. So you're going to make choices that that's how we learn what choices are going to lead to something funny or not. And Correct. So I made the choice in this scene. I don't remember the context of being a, I was playing a dentist. Mm-hmm. And again, this is in an improvisational class, Second City in Chicago. It was the, it was not Second City proper. It was the, um, they made the it. training center. They made sure we always, we had to say training center. Yeah. Uh, it wanted nothing to do with us officially. Um, so I chose to be a, it was a dentist and I chose to laugh constantly. Okay. This guy tore me to shreds in front of the whole class and how mm-hmm. that was not funny it was a horrible choice. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine, who I have a witness, couldn't believe how this guy tore into me. Mm-hmm. And I still get upset about it. And this guy... It's I like, see. Your little tears starting well, to no, form but, right and, now. Not really, but emotionally, in my chest, I feel it. Uh-huh. And his name was Corey. Mm-hmm. A mime. I don't know if you know Corey the mime. Nope. Okay. Never heard of him. Yeah, but he was there then. And I was just like... Um, it was so... Uh, you know, I, I took it personally and it, it felt bad. I felt embarrassed. Right. And I shamed. I mean, what's well, your style? Well, first of all, the, the, if any teacher tells you that you're doing something wrong, they're teaching from a place of ego. And it's usually from a place of people who are frustrated because they're not successful. Uh, and uh, it gets uh, kind of really messy. But I, I my style is... Um, more about teaching you what you're doing right and to do more of it and don't worry about what you're doing wrong and trying to change and fix it. Sometimes you have to identify what you're doing wrong in order to figure out what you're doing right, but I encourage people to figure out what they're doing right and do more of it and to replace thinking with listening Mm -hmm. and to make your partner look good and you look twice as good and uh, to talk to each other about each other. And really it's just life lessons. It's just all those things. Like if you do that stuff in life, if you make your partner look good, if you make anything, everybody else and everything else more important than yours and replace all your needs, wants, and desires with somebody else's needs, wants, and desires, that's how life is supposed to be lived. And that's when uh, we're really having a good time. And that's another thing that I teach is you have to play a children's game. That's what acting is. But you have to play a children's game by children's rules. You can't play a children's game by adult rules because it's not fun. So if you play a children's game by children's rules, all they do is have fun because it comes from a place of innocence and vulnerability. So I just strip away people's um, ability to, to play children's game by adult rules and teach them that they are not only capable and able able to be innocent and vulnerable like a child, but that you need to be childlike in order to, to improvise, to act, and to make your way through life. What if an actor, and I love what you just said. Yeah. It's, it's great. Yeah. And it really resonates. What if an adult or young person, young adult, let's say, mm-hmm. not that they're not adults, but you know what I mean, is shut down. It's like, in other words, the child's I mean, been come, killed well, in them. Like, they, you know, life has oh, got get, them down. Well, I have an outreach program called New Choice where we go into the inner city and teach kids how to act through improv games. And I bring in filmmakers and they teach the kids how to run the cameras and the kids shoot a documentary on themselves learning how to act. And so I get kids who are shut down all the time. And it's usually the kids who are shut down the most that actually respond the biggest throughout the process of the, the course and the class because 
um, nobody's ever told them that they can just be children. Everybody's always telling them to behave, that they to not misbehave, to sit in their seat, or like you said, this teacher taught you what you're doing wrong instead of just allowing you to do things right. And um, you know, I taught a class in uh, in Trowbridge in in uh, in London. I mean, it, in England. Um, it was just outside of Bristol, um, England, and it was a whole class of uh, teaching disabled. What are they? Uh, what was the proper term that the everything's so politically correct these days? Right. Mentally challenged is not the right word. They were learning challenged. Gifted. They were learning <laughs> challenged, or they are gifted. They really are. They really used. are gifted. Everyone's gifted. Um, I think. Regardless. Well, uh, yeah. Yeah, but it was the uh, the kids who didn't want to be there who responded the most within an hour of being in the workshop. And the kids who are sort of the leaders and get most of the focus, they kind of fade to the background because they're used to, you know, leading and getting attention. Well, like, uh, you know, those are the extreme examples. But yeah. what, what about like, a, like uh, you know... A guy who had a normal, or a woman had a normal life, and they're just they're they're so. Hey, what's your point, Vic? You, you're saying anyone can be can be brought back to that childlike state, yeah, resurrected anybody, back to the sure. Because uh, okay, yeah, anybody can. It's called just being a child and playing children's game by children's rules. One makes you smile, and one doesn't, and and that's really what it's all about. Is really enjoying yourself and 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 appreciate acknowledging yourself for things that you do right and not beat yourself up for things that you're doing wrong and th that's what i teach well i think i mean i love what you're saying and this isn't the stuff well, i come heard. take my class i think you, saw, you almost did last I, night i, and I thought you it was it a off. show i thought it was no. a show well it was a show well i thought it was a show i told mark i'm coming in i'm coming you know but i thought but i didn't realize it was an eight-week class i you know it's a well, big commitment it's, it'll be a drop-in now i'm in. hearing more um, it sounds great. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this guy uh, really, you know, now when I do TV stuff, I always love thinking of him. I mean, not well, in a negative. Don't but, give your power away to people. Yeah, yeah. I know. He doesn't matter, man. Uh, he's how, 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 how much time do you think he spends thinking about you? Nothing. Well, then fuck him. I know. But it really, it, you know, I, I agree. It's like, you know, that needs to be let go. Because yeah. what's the point? Get over it. Move on. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's a good acknowledge uh, yourself for something you did great in that class and don't worry about him. Right, instead of focusing it. Do you think that's Yeah, you're an actor. You're doing you're in Hollywood. You're doing your thing. You got a podcast. We're we're talking to each other. What the <laughs> fuck are you spending time talking about this dick for? Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Now you said you've you've uh been researching you a bit, kind of studying what you've said and in, in, in sure. the past. I I would you share the quote you have um uh, from Aristotle about the poet? You remember? Uh, yeah, yeah. Aristotle says the poet cannot impact on others who he himself is not impacted on. And the more you see it, the more you believe it. The more you believe it, the more real it becomes. The more real it becomes, the more you are impacted on, and only then can you impact on others. That's all from Aristotle? Well, it's... Or is it kind of a combination? That's know, the I essence. I sort of picked it up from an acting teacher I studied with for many years. Uh, his name's Harry Master George out here in L.A. And he used to use that quote. And I guess I just researched it more and... You know, you pick up these little bits and pieces from uh, all kinds of experiences that you have throughout your life. And that's what teaching is about. That's what acting is about. And that's what living life is, life is about is, you know, putting together the pieces of the puzzle the way you want the puzzle to look. And so you take these golden nuggets uh, or these diamonds in the rough and, and you shine them up and 
you know, you put them in your own words and then use them to teach because we were all taught. We all learned from somewhere, somebody. At some point, we learned stuff. So I want to just repeat what you said roughly. It's not exactly, but it's can, roughly you what you said. You can paraphrase and fuck up what said, I said. Go ahead. No, I think you fucked up what you said. All right. Because <laughs> I took it verbatim from another thing you, that I found. All right. And what I took down verbatim that you said. I don't you know where said, you got it, but yeah, go ahead. It said, letting it happen. Okay. The poet cannot impact on others who is not impacted on himself. Yeah. So when the material impacts on you, you can then impact on others. Yes. And I love that idea. And it's so true because it's called being honest. That's right. And being having an, experience, and an honest experience. That's right. And then the audience will have one because they see, they see you having one. That's correct. And then you said, letting it happen to you rather than you trying to make it happen. Correct. If you see it and believe that it's real to you, we see it. We believe it. And it's real to us. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, it just, that's you kind of expanding on the the earlier idea. But yeah, I think that's all really accurate stuff. And I, do I, and too. I talk about that. I mean, I may not put it exactly the same way the every same time, idea. but no, I just wanted to make sure that everyone understood the intent. I appreciate you know? that. That's great. Because it's a great idea. And it's true. You know what's interesting yeah. also to me? It's also what makes a great salesman. No one will buy anything unless they have sold themselves. Yeah. And how do they sell themselves? Well, if the salesman's selling him their self, mm -hmm. don't you agree? Absolutely. Where, where did you find that quote? Where, where did you get that? I'll tell you later. I don't see, I don't want to share my seat. You had did an interview <laughs> online and I, I studied your interviews. Great. And, and I, and I liked it so I much. I love it. Not only did I want to bring it in mm -hmm. to discuss with you, but I wanted to keep it for myself. Good. And I think it's a great thing for all of you, whether you're an actor or salesperson or whatever you do, we all engage in life with other people and we're Absolutely. selling something. Yeah. Especially if you're raising kids or if you're in a marriage or any kind of a relationship, that's, that's what life's all about. So this is, this is always interesting to me when it comes to comedy. Now, some com. I don't, I'm going to guess that Jerry Seinfeld is a terrible improviser. I'm just going to guess that. Mm -hmm. In my mind, Jerry Seinfeld is an accomplished and obviously critically acclaimed stand-up comic, a clinician when it comes to writing a joke mm -hmm. and seeing that through a concept into a joke. But if you were to set, say, send Jerry on stage and say, I'm going to give you a who, a where, and a what, or, you know, these play an improv game, mm -hmm. I have a feeling he would n probably not succeed very well. Yeah, uh I wouldn't put anything past anybody or their capabilities, but I understand what you're saying. Go well, ahead. Well, what I'm wondering is, because I tend to do this, so I want you to help me with this. All right. I tend to put people, I I tend to think like if a comic can't do this, mm -hmm. they should be able to do everything if they're a great comic. Like they should be able to do the improv, the stand-up. They should be able to... Um, Maybe do physical comedy too. I disagree, and I agree. I want to convince myself that's wrong. Yeah, I mean, it's it, let's say it's incorrect, right or wrong, whatever. Tell me why am I wrong? I think I know why, but you tell me. Well, there's um, things that you know, things that you know you don't know, and things that you don't know you don't know. So the things that you know you can do, you you know you can do stand up. Yeah. You've done it before. You're yeah. successful at it. And also my improvisational stuff with my hidden camera. You know, yeah. I've got tons. Right. And there's stuff you know you can't do. Like, you know you can't be a heart surgeon or a brain surgeon. You can't That's take a knife, 100% cut true. somebody open and actually fix their internal organs and sew them back up and cure them. Right. So, you know, you can't do that. And then there's stuff you don't know you don't know. 
which is what improv is all about, which is what living life is all about. Um, and, and if you don't know, you don't know it, then you just have to be really comfortable with accepting, like what we talked about, my quote was, is letting it happen to you rather than you trying to make it happen. And this is another thing that I teach is you don't have to be the generator of energy. You don't have to be the generator of an experience or the generator of fun. You just have to be a receiver, like tuning the receiver into the right station, like uh, skidrowstudios.com to listen to this podcast and, and make sure that it's on the right uh, frequency in order for you to receive it and then flow through you. And that's what life's all about, too, is you have to allow it to happen to you. So you have to be open to receiving it and then allow it to flow through you and come out however you want to perceive it or however you want to create it because you're each creative source energy. So you get to create your experience every moment of every day as an improviser, as a doctor, as a human being, you get to create your own experience. Okay. Now here's where I'm going to challenge you. Go for it. Bring it on. I love, (laughs) I love the idea of what you're saying. Yes. And I want to buy into it, but But I've been in some improv classes yeah. and I've seen what can sometimes I'll say in every class and it probably, and I don't know how it doesn't happen yours, but what happens is the teacher says what you said, uh-huh. that it's not about being the star of the scene or, right. and then there's a loudmouth guy usually who takes all the focus and does everything, gets all the laughs and becomes the teacher's pet. That's not my experience. Because they, okay, it's been mine. Maybe well, I've just had some bad experiences. Yeah, well, it's because you're too sensitive. (laughs) Don't blame this on me. Why? You're the one who brought it up. (laughs) Well, I am, but I don't believe it's because I'm too sensitive. I think it's because I observed. Well, I I think your observations are a little skewed and they're judgmental. Well, you have not been to those classes. No. And come to my class. You won't experience that. Yeah. So you don't you don't believe that it's whoever's the loudest and gets the biggest laughs is the winner in the class? Absolutely not. I don't think it really, that's the spirit of it's improv. It's about making other people look good. It's about making somebody else's wants, needs, and desires more important than yours. It's about ensemble work. That's what Second City uh, and sets Second City apart from a lot of other places. And same thing with IO. And uh, they're, they're based on making the other person look good, which is fun for everybody instead of other schools of thought or organizations or teaching institutions where they teach you how to be funny at somebody else's expense, which is making fun of somebody else to get laughs. Like, I don't like these guys like uh, on Venice Beach who walk behind somebody and mimic them and they draw crowds of people because everybody's walking by and they're making fun of people because it's always at somebody else's expense. Half the time they're doing it blindly, meaning the person passing by doesn't know that they're making fun of them and other people are watching that. And I just don't like that kind of comedy because I'm trained in something completely different, which is to look you in the eye, to be completely honest with you and be innocent and vulnerable and be impacted on and let it happen to me rather than trying to make it happen. So those are guys who try and make it happen. And I just personally don't enjoy that style of comedy. What about um, the choice if I say to you, well, let's say we were doing an improvisational scene and maybe this is just too general. And I say to you, Mark, I love those three horns coming out of your head. Aren't they beautiful? Now, They're just <laughs> magical. My mom had horns like that. I remember your mother. Yes. And as your brother, I would remember that, of course. Well, he is <laughs> just a special guy. 
Right. So uh, it's a, it's, is it really as simple as yes and? Absolutely. That's the number. Is that you do that, you're more than halfway there. Yes. And, and just add something to it. And for those, if you don't know what we're talking about, I said to Mark, I love the horns in your head. And he, his response was, yes, and I got them from my mother, mm-hmm. something to that effect. So that's what the yes and is. And how does this help you in your auditioning uh, for sitcoms and films? You've got a script. Yeah. So how are you improvising? Listening? Is it the listening part? Well, you're just really comfortable with the unknown and you're comfortable, um, you know, uh, without a script in your hand. So when you have a script in your hand, it's just um, something that you can use to guide you, you know, um, so that you have access to the story before it's written. When you're improvising, you don't know the story until after it's done. When you get a script, you basically know the story before you start. So it just helps you as a guide, you know, like a map, you know, to follow something and get from point A to point B by using the scripted story or the lines in the script or the sides as we call them in auditioning. Would you say that it's uh, easier for you personally to improvise a scene or to take a script and work with that? I like both. Yeah, Uh, I like like doing it all. I mean, I'm really fortunate. I get to teach. I get to play tuba. I get to improvise. I get to do movies. I get to do television. I get to travel the world. I get to just do everything I love. And I love everything I do. I go from one thing to another and I might be busy all day or I might not have a lot to do. But either way, it's just an enjoyable experience for me, whether I'm swamped with activities or whether I'm just kind of free to flow okay. wherever I want to go. Now, first of all, you know, I, you have such an incredibly positive outlook mm-hmm. and energy. Now, when I knew you in the 90s. hmm it, this wasn't you. No. I mean, it, you know, when I saw no, you in the lobby long time. of the reanimator, I mean, it was like like someone had possess, repos- I don't know, like you. Yeah. No, it's true. What you, happened? Well, you got to do the work. You got. What do- is the work? I mean, are you well, like going to like 12-step meetings or no, therapy it's, or uh, it's, it's, you have a spiritual guru? It's not just saying yes and. No, you were doing that before. There's a lot to be learned in life. And you learn a lot through maturity. You learn a lot through your experiences. I've taken a lot of, uh, I've taken some seminars. I've read some books. Uh, you know, I did seminars with Landmark Education you know, uh, the forum and, and uh, their, their uh, curriculum. And then I've read some great books I can recommend to you, like um, Jack Canfield, uh, success, success, success Principles. I can't say it, but I can read it. The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. Um, there's some great stuff by uh, Esther and Jerry Hicks, who I love have, them. have a book called Asking It Is Given, and they have tons of seminars and tapes. I've been to a seminar to see Abraham speak and... And uh, I've just you do a lot of work on yourself. I have a mastermind group with some some great folks who uh, you know we get together and just discuss you know what we're up to in life and and, and hold yourself accountable uh, to whatever it is that you want to achieve. And and those are some of the things that helped uh, along this path. But also just recognizing that 
you know, you were talking about this guy at Second City and, and you're still hanging on to this thing. And, and at some point you realize that you give away your power to either people or circumstances or situations. Or as an actor, you give away your power to agents or producers or directors or you get fired or hired or you don't make as much money or you know, whatever the situation or circumstances are. Uh, you can't give your power away to anything or anybody. You have to own, take 100% responsibility for yourself and your life. And then, and only then, are you able to redirect, what you, if you want to call it spirituality or your happiness or um, how you perceive and walk through life. Well, and there's only two really important things that I've learned in life. One is going to bed content with what you accomplished that day. And the other is waking up the next day excited about what you're going to do. And that, it doesn't matter whether you're homeless or whether you have billions of dollars. Those are the only two real important things in life. And then if you're happy and, and you maintain some sense of happiness, and like I said, you don't have to be the generator of energy. You just become the receiver. You allow things to flow through you. You allow things to happen to you. And, and, and those are some of the experiences that helped me get to this place of just really enjoying every moment of every day and not worrying about what you have, what you don't have. You know, my wife and I sold everything we owned when we went traveling around the world a year ago. And now we're kind of just looking for a place. And I saw it at I saw it for Facebook. And, you said, "Did anyone know yeah. if anyone got a car or two cars?" <laughs> yeah, we we got to buy a couple cars and find a place to live, and it'll happen. You yeah, know, it'll right. happen. I'm not worried about it at all. It's just something else. I, I, I I'm excited about doing. Well, you had a health scare. Does this have anything to do with that? No. Well, I'm I'm sure. I, I, well, I mean, my immediate response was no, but yeah, that was a piece of the puzzle too. Absolutely. And like looking at potential life, death, that kind of thing pushed you to reevaluate your whole life? Yeah. I mean, there's no one thing, Vic. There's just, you know, a series of life events and circumstances and education that you receive. And, um, you know, I had angioplasty when I was 35, which is what Vic's talking about was a health scare. My wife had um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma uh, was six years ago now. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, and uh, but those things are all gifts. They're not. They're not scares. You call it a scare. I call it a gift. Well, I like. It's how, like I a like what great you're opportunity to go. Hey, you got to make some changes here, and if you don't pay attention to those gifts and the messages that you're receiving through that gift, then you're blaming and you're angry and you want to because you were a little angry. Rebel. At that yeah, speech. you bet. Sure, I used to be a pretty. Pretty pissed off guy. Pissed off guy. And it's like you're not, I mean, like that's why I'm like, you know, it's it's so exciting to see you in, enjoying your life because life is Thanks. a gift. Yeah, life is a gift and everything you receive in life is a gift. And when so. I saw you in Reanimator, you know, you play the tuba. Mm -hmm. It's a supporting role. I wouldn't say it's necessarily a starring role. It's a big role, but it's... Right. And you were content. Oh, yeah. You know, I, it wasn't like you had to be George Went in that. No, well, I was his understudy, but I play like six, seven different roles in that. Yeah, uh, you're all over the place. Eight yeah. roles total if you count all the backstage uh, tech work that I do. Um, but yeah, I just, I love doing it. I, I love, you know, being, it's a great ensemble. It's a great group of people. It's a great show. I get to sing. I get to dance. I get to squirt blood all over the audience. I scream and die and 
What's not fun? Well, the child, because, you know, you're not, what I'm hearing is, you know, what I saw was you being the kid and having just fun and being playful. Thank you. And it's very hard, you know, yeah, because, you know, a lot of the people that you worked with are probably like major stars. I mean, a lot of the guys like are, you know, and is that been a a source of like, because you did Second City at its era where you had, Mm -hmm. you know, guys going to Saturday Night Live left and right, I'm guessing. And then, you you know, has that been a challenge for you in any way? No, no challenge. Good. I mean, you know, it's like some people are, I hear a lot of people get very jealous in this business, you know, and envious about, oh, that should have been me or that, you know. And I hear you, I just hear a lot of gratitude. Yeah. And I. Well, that's all there is in life. Yeah. And I saw it on stage. Cool. You know, so it's not like you're just, you know, I'm just. You're not just talking here. I, you know, it's good to have actually experienced it. What what, what role uh, has your wife played in your life? Great question. Well, she's been, uh, you know, on this spiritual journey with me from over 30 years. Uh, we met in a comedy group uh, 31 years ago. It's called the Detroit Times Theater Company with Mike Maddox and Dave Floyd and uh, Tim Meadows and... Um, and uh, then she quit acting, and and uh, she moved to Chicago with me, and spent all the years I was at Second City, and I was on the road for two and a half years, and she's been on her own journey as well, and and um, and and we've grown together. So you know, we've kind of uh, helped each other learn about uh, a lot of the stuff that we were talking about, and um, so like the form, do you guys do that together? She she did. She well, I did it first, and then. Um, I asked her, would she do it? And she said, uh, sure. And, um, she did it. And then, and then we did some of the stuff there together. And then we formed this mastermind group out of there. Cause we didn't want to stay in the seminars, but we wanted to continue the conversation and, and doing the work. And, um, cause that just really, uh, excites me, uh, that, that kind of, um, uh, that education that I received from that or, uh, seminar was really impactful for me and uh it's just about human behavior and how everything we 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 perceive uh in our brains is really just a story we tell ourselves and it may be true and it may not be true but it doesn't matter it's just fucking meaningless (laughs) it doesn't mean a goddamn thing if we're gonna yeah and once you realize that then then you then you can give yourself the permission to move on when you realize those things that you think are important aren't really important, and all that is important is you, uh, your frame of mind and your happiness and a relationship. Uh, you know, I have a great relationship with my wife, and and we have a lot of fun together. We've traveled the world together. We've traveled through the Himalayas, uh, which is one of her dreams to see Mount Everest, and. And and she had cancer at the time. We didn't even know it. We got home. She was diagnosed after we got home. Um, and that was a life-changing experience. Uh, we spent uh, we went some time in Tibet and Nepal and spent a week in Bhutan, which was an amazing life-changing experience. I heard the, the improv community there is amazing. Um, well, I, I, <laughs> I certainly did some improv there. Now this is before she had the kid. This is a few years ago, then. Yeah, yeah, and then um, and then she met me uh, over in Scotland, and we've been traveling around for the last year. And we just got back to LA 
I think you contacted me like the week before I got back to do this podcast and I haven't been able to do it until tonight. Yeah, and I'm really appreciative that you have. Yeah, you should be. I know I am. Okay. <laughs> now, um, so is your wife a good audience for yeah. you? For oh, you? yeah, yeah, yeah. she yeah. worship She's, and adore you? She hasn't always, but she does now. Um, <laughs> as we speak. Yeah. <laughs> as far as you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, she she was always my worst critic, and and there was time in my life when I was that other angry, bitter guy who bitched about everything that I really wasn't um, expressing myself on stage or off in a way that was conducive to me being uh, like what you said when you saw me uh, in Reanimator and afterwards and free. Uh, it's just free. It is. It's a very it's a very liberally liber liberating free place to, to, to exist. Do you ever have fear of failure on stage? Uh-uh. Why do you answer so quickly? Because there is no such thing from my perspective. A scene goes bad, you're left with a blank, you're, you're blank on stage. It, you're, it, it cannot go bad. It's called improvisation I've for seen, a reason. Well, I've seen some improv scenes that didn't work out. Well, then you saw something that you didn't like. Uh, but you didn't. You never. You never saw me in a scene that didn't work. Really? Hey, listen. I'm not. I'm sorry to challenge you this hard. Yeah. But I did go to some tapings of uh, Who's Line. Yeah. And they taped all night because a lot of those scenes didn't work. Well, I wasn't in it. Really? But these are great. These are supposedly some of the best improvisers in the world. I worked with most of them, but I, I wasn't in Who's Line, so I couldn't tell you what that. You believe that any every scene you will do will be a winner, even though you're not in control. Well, I think, or is it a matter of defining what a winner is? Well, I think your job is to make the other person look good, and if you make them look good, you look twice as good, and nobody can really sabotage you. That you, your job is to find that diamond in the rough or that gold nugget or the needle in the haystack is from the way you're describing it. And you put me up there, uh, you know, and I, I'll find the needle in the haystack. So what's the future for you? What are you looking, uh, we're almost out of time here, but I just, no! like, a headline, you know, the headlines, where do you see yourself? Um, well, I'm I'm uh, back in L.A. and uh, pursuing uh, movies and television. I have a movie called uh, The Company that was just at the, uh, um, what was it called? The Dances with Films Film Festival at the Man's Chinese uh, a couple weeks ago. And that's going around to a bunch of festivals. It's called The Company. And um, it's directed by Kevin McDermott and uh, stars a couple other great folks. Uh, How will people know Kevin McDermott? Um, I don't. You have to look him up on. Okay, uh, I All think right. this is his first directorial debut. Okay. Um, and um, I'm also doing uh, Two Bazaar on July 27th. I'm teaching classes. I'm performing. I play in an orchestra for a show called Mortified. Um, and um, I'll be teaching um for the next uh, few weeks, and hopefully we'll land one of these uh, auditions that I've been. Uh, going out on so we'll get some more tv and film work very great. soon well thank you so much i mean it's uh great seeing you yeah, I, i'm so happy for me. thank you for coming and i'm really happy at the opportunity to ask you some of these questions because i sure. wanted to hear like what has changed how you've you know what did you it, get your answers i did okay. i did and it was great to hear and great. uh and also like that your your the way your take on uh acting seems to be your take on life it's uh all the same for me 
And so it sounds like taking a class with you is not only about learning how to improvise a comedic scene, but it's perhaps how do you handle life and what life hands you? www.ohmyribs.com. <laughs> All right. Find out. Great. Come see. Great. And uh, anything else you'd like to share with us? No, I, uh, I'm really happy that you asked me to do this and uh, it's really fun. Good. Good to see you. Yeah, great to see you too. Thanks. And uh, thank you all for listening. Look forward to hearing, seeing you. Well, let's see. You see me. You know, we're on camera. I did not know that. Yes, even though I described you. Wow. Not everyone will probably be able to download the video version of this. But thank you all for listening. And I look forward to uh, being with you again, hopefully very soon, on Vic Cohen's It's a Fair Question. It's a fair question. It's I'm fair Vic answer. Cohen. And it's, it's always a fair, a fair question. question. It's a fair question. It's a fair question. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair question. It's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair question. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair quest, quest, question.